Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All right, I got a couple of quick announcements that I want to go through. One, first, and this is one of the most important, we can't find our snow shovel. So if you know where our snow shovel is, will you just let us know? Don't go out and buy one. But if you know where it is, just let us know or if you see it or in the church. Uh, it's obviously pretty important this time of year. Um, another announcement is we have gotten, we have received all the money that we need for our sound system and for so, those upgrades. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that gave towards that. That is a, that is a real blessing. You know, we are able to... to broadcast this to people that can't come in and there's quite a few people that are watching online special welcome to everybody that that's watching too you know you're a part of our family and we, we miss seeing you and can't wait to to worship corporately together with you uh, in the near future uh, another announcement Jim Maher's class is going to be starting January is it sixth or seventh January 6th so not this coming Wednesday but the next Wednesday his class will be starting back up on Wednesday nights, so make sure you make it out to that Bible study. And then, um, last but not least, would you just join me in prayer for the direction of the church? Where is God going to take us in this new year? I am excited about some things that God is just speaking to me about. I want us to be on the same page, though. I want the church board to be on the same page. I want the church leadership to be on the same page. So would you just pray for that? and join us? And would you pray for, where does God want me at? What is God calling me to do? Um, I'm excited for that, and I'm excited to see where God takes us in this coming year. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I know that... Uh, this is a time where the excitement of Christmas is over and things are returning to normal. And sometimes this can be a, a gloomy time. But Father, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes upon you. I pray that you would guide us in this coming year. Lord, I pray that you would speak mightily to us, clearly to us, and provide us with a direction a direction to head to build your kingdom. Lord, help us to be about that business. Lord, help us to be, first and foremost, though, kneeling down at your feet and coming into your presence regularly. Lord, I pray that we'd be all about that branch life. Lord, we pray, I pray that we would be all about that fellowship with you, making that time, Lord, giving you that honor and glory that you deserve. Lord, and that's what we want to do with our voices right now. We want to praise you. We want to worship you. Lord, we want to draw into your presence. Holy Spirit, come have your way with us. Lord, I pray that you would just soften our hearts, open our eyes and our ears, Lord, to what you'd have for us. Speak to us through your word. Lord, we just give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, 
before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he's with you he's with you in the morning in the evening and you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing he is for you he is for you song. <laughs> I don't know how Emma and her sister recover after singing that part, bless your family and your children. I can hear it in their voice, a mother's heart. Um, and fun fact, just so you know, this song, um, a lot of you are aware of some of the problems I had at work. You know, I've, I've asked you to pray for me in that situation. At the beginning of this year, I was doing a position where I had to walk through areas where many of my so-called enemies were at, people who gossip and lie about me. And I literally started singing that song. Like, whenever I see these people, I don't care if they hear me, I'm singing that song to them. I sing that song, and it got me through this first part of the year where I didn't feel my anxiety. I just felt joy, and I just wanted them to be blessed. I wanted to know what it's like to have that joy for Jesus because I know they wouldn't be lying. They wouldn't be gossiping. If their hearts were there with Jesus, they would be so happy, and I'm miserable for them. My heart has changed, and I have love for them. Um, We have quite a prayer list going on, (laughs) and... If there's anyone else that there's something that's on their mind that they would like to request, you know, feel free to speak up when I'm done with this prayer list. But um, Roger Shepard, who is a neighbor of our church, he has um, pancreas issues. His pancreas uh, apparently isn't functioning right now. Tim Kilgore has had knee surgery. Deb Akers, uh, Brenda Pittenberg's um, sister, correct? She um, has passed away. No, Deb Aker's sister, Brenda, has passed away. (laughs) I don't know everyone in the church. I apologize for hacking that up. (laughs) It's not funny. Her sister has passed away, Deb Aker's. If we could just pray for her, for strength through that. Being best friends with my sister, I can't imagine. Um, Dawn's sister is sick. Owen is still recovering from, um, he had uh, 
a removal of a toe, correct? So he's, he's going through recovery. We can pray also for his wife. Baby Wren, still praying for her. And Joan, Joan recently fell and hurt her face pretty bad. Um, and if anyone has an update, I'd like to hear it. Because I, I tried reaching out and she didn't answer her phone. So I'm, I'm worried about Joan. And she's been on my prayers. Um, also, don't forget about our beloved Daniel. You know, please reach out to him. He's been lonely. And his uh, fiance, who's been suffering with a, with a sore that just doesn't, won't go away. Um, and she needs to get out of there. She needs to be around the people that she loves. When I come up here and I'm asked to do the pastoral prayer, I really don't even know what that is. But I get excited even though I don't know what I'm going to say, and I'm nervous as heck. Because there's someone, there's got to be someone whose heart isn't totally given over to Jesus yet. Someone watching online, someone here. And I want them, like the song says, when you're at the end of yourself and you've had enough, where I was that one day, there was nothing more. You were just done And you didn't think there was forgiveness. It wasn't possible. I did not search out Jesus at that point. But I was ready for Jesus. When I came to that point, and it was coming here and hearing the gospel, that I knew that I could get over that hump, that I could be forgiven. When I thought I was doomed, it was this place. It was the love that you guys demonstrated to me of Jesus Christ that I knew I could I could get past that. I could be loved. I could be new again. And if there's someone listening or someone here who hasn't gone to that place yet, I want to be that catalyst to send you forward there. I want every time I come up here to preach the gospel, to know that you are forgiven. And there's nothing greater. There's nothing in this world that is more important than that. And if there's anything I can do, if I can pray for you, if I can call you, just reach out to me. Because I want you to know that. I want you to feel that love. And my heart aches for anyone that doesn't know that love right now. Right now we have people who are so fearful because of this COVID thing. Father, I ask that you be with them. I pray that their heart seeks you, that seeks your face, that their heart cries out for you. And they find that comfort. And they find that presence with you that they know that they're, more than anything, you just long to show them mercy and you long for their heart to change and come to you and have that freedom that you bring, that peace with you. When we were separated and divided, you sent your son, your only son, to suffer the punishment we deserve for our sin and he paid that price and botch you with his blood. Father, I hope that brings him comfort. I hope through all this, through the loneliness and separation and the fear, that that's where their heart turns. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you come and settle upon this room, and settle in our hearts, that anyone who isn't there yet, I pray that they will give your heart, that this will be the day that they come to you, and they are saved And they accept the gospel. Please, Holy Spirit, be with our pastor. 
I have no doubt he is going to speak the truth. And he is going to move us all. And I thank you, God, for his service to you, to his obedience. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Oh, I don't know about you, but I am just, I am just uh, anxious, not anxious, I am just ready. I'm, I'm ready to get back to normal. I'm ready to um, have those moments that we had before. I was, th- I was just thinking about the teen trip that we were on, Eddie and Jody, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but highlight, highlight of my life, and I think you guys would probably agree, just to see what God did in those moments, and I can't wait to have more of those moments, and I can't wait to see where God is going to take us, and where God is going to lead us, and where God is going to challenge us. I'm so grateful that we have people that are willing to come up here, and they have no idea what to say, and they just testify to what God is doing, right? I don't want us ever, I was telling the praise team, I, you know, you guys are really good, you know, but I don't want it to ever be about being really good. I want us to be focused in on, on being one with the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit speak through you guys. And, they, you know, that happens with our praising. Yeah, they're good, you know, but they're, they're sold out. They're committed. They're, they're worshiping themselves, and I think that comes through, and that's what we need to do, you know. I don't care if you're good. I don't care if you think you're not good. Whatever God is calling you to do, step out on faith and do it. You know, I think about D.L. Moody, not a great preacher, right? The world would listen to his message and say, not a great preacher, but God used him mightily because he was 100% sold out, and that's what I hope that we are too. We don't have to be great. We just have to be sold out, sanctified, surrendered to God to be used. Well, I hope you had a Merry Christmas. We're, like I was praying about, we're entering a time that is referred to as the Christmas blues. With Christmas, there is this big push, this big buildup, this big focus on this holiday. For months, people have been doing it. I don't know if you remember Sheila. Sheila was probably counting down the days to the next Christmas already, right? I saw somebody on Facebook posted 365 days to the next Christmas. I was like, oh my goodness, there, there is just a real focus on this. Uh, and then there comes the day, and the presents are open, and the, you're, you're gathering with your families, and maybe that's good or bad, uh, but people return home, and then there's just this kind of emptiness sometimes. Um, things kind of return back to normal. I, anybody not looking forward to tomorrow, and I don't know, I'm going back to work tomorrow, so I'm not looking forward to that, kind of depressed about that. But how you react to this holiday is really built on how you approach it. What are you longing for, or what were you longing for in this season? Did you find it? Did you miss it? With everything that goes on with Christmas, with all the the focus of what it is and what it's become, it's easy to miss. And if this is you, don't, don't feel so bad because... A lot of people do miss it. You know, I was thinking about the first century Jews and how many of them missed the Messiah, right? They met Jesus and missed out on realizing who he was. 
And I don't know about you, but this kind of dumbfounds me. I have this, I have this thing that's wrong, but I'm like, man, you guys are a bunch of idiots if you missed out on Jesus and you were right there with him. I mean, he did all those miracles. You had all that prophecy. You had all the scripture that you memorized, and yet somehow they missed it. You ever, you ever wonder about that? You ever wonder how they could, how they just didn't realize it? I mean, when I look through the scriptures, we're going to be going through a lot of scriptures. I, I lied. I told you we're going to go through the whole Bible today. We're only going to go through half, right? But when I look through all the scriptures, I'm like, man, this is, just seems obvious to me that Jesus is the Messiah. But I live on the other side of the cross, the other side of the resurrection, the other side of the ascension. I have a big advantage to that. I have, a, I have the advantage of being able to look back and connect the dots, right? I have the Holy Spirit revealing God's word to me, and so do you. So they were at a big disadvantage compared to us. I, I, I posted something on Facebook, and I said it's kind of like, um, I, I said, have you ever seen this movie, The Sixth Sense? If you have seen that movie, would you raise your hand just so I know who I'm talking to? All right, a lot of you have seen the movie The Sixth Sense. If you haven't, um, you might want to watch it. It's good. I think it's a good movie. I thought Christmas Story was a good movie, and then we watched it with the kids, and I was like, holy smokes, there's a lot of swearing in it. All right, so I hope I'm not advertising a movie that has all that stuff in there. But it, this is kind of like watching The Sixth Sense. Um, it's a movie with Bruce Willis and this kid, Haley Joel. And Bruce Willis is the psychiatrist. Haley Joel is this kid who, for some reason, is able to see dead people. Right, And he's like, these, these dead people don't even realize they're dead sometimes while I'm able to see them and, and talk to them. And so he's talking to Bruce Willis and, and trying to figure out what's going on. Bruce is trying to help him up. And as you're watching this movie, there's all these things that keep happening that don't just kind of make sense. Right? They seem a little bit out of place. Um, it seems like something's just a little bit off course. All right? The way that Bruce interacts with his wife. I mean, they're, they're arguing a lot. She seems to give the, him the cold shoulder and doesn't really seem to talk to him like. Um, and then all of a sudden, by the end of the movie, you have, you have the big twist that comes out, right? The big spoiler. And here, Bruce Willis is dead. Bruce Willis is dead. Here you think he's alive and he's an actual psychiatrist and talking to him. But no, he's dead and, and the boy sees dead people. And so that's the big twist. And then if you go back and watch the movie again all the things line up. And you're like, oh, that makes sense now why she, the wife, was like that. She wasn't really talking to him. She was just talking out loud, and, and, and everything makes sense after the twist. And I think that's the same way it is with us today. We, we live in an age that's after the twist, but they were before it, and they didn't see how this was going to happen. But I want to go back and look at the promises of God, and I want you to kind of put in your mindset and, and kind of think about these promises and maybe think of these things as a first century Jew would. I think you do, if you do that, you'll, you'll probably cut them some slack. So that's what I, I want to do, because I think if we do this, it will help us not miss out on what Christmas is really all about. All right? So in your Bibles, turn to Genesis Turn to Genesis, first book. Should be easy to find. Uh, we're going to be in three. I, I'm going to start like at the beginning, though. All right, we know that God created the universe, spoke it into existence. He creates mankind in his own 
image. He breathes the breath of life into mankind. All right, so that's how everything starts. He places man and woman in a garden, the Garden of Eden, right? And this is, this is uh, in a world that is untamed, wild, filled with chaos. He places them in a garden where there is order. Now, he gives them the job to do to fill the earth and subdue it. All right? This is called the cultural mandate. God wants mankind to go out and spread out and fill into this chaos and bring order to it. All right? In the same way that God has shown them. And, and a little bit after this, we learned something that's really interesting. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. But we learned that man and woman are standing there naked in the presence of God, in the presence of each other. Now, um, I don't want you to think that that has anything to do with some creepy nudity thing, right? That has nothing to do with my fascination with that, nothing to do with that, so don't go there. But it's amazing because it conveys that mankind, man and woman, one, had nothing to hide. They had no desire to have to cover up anything with each other or with the God of the universe. They were, they were naked and unashamed. There's no fear. Can you imagine feeling that freedom? Right? That stirs something in my soul because I've never known that. Maybe when I was a little kid it was okay to be naked, but I probably just didn't realize it. You know, little kids love to run around, rip their clothes off and run around naked. Now, though, when I'm naked, it's like the first thing I want to do is put on some drawers. Right? Right away. Get, get covered up. Get some clothes on. Forget the clothing, though. How many of us feel like we can be totally naked with somebody and expose everything in our inmost being to someone? At times, at other times, there's a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of people who feel like they have to cover up. In fact, they, they think, well, what would this person like? And so they actually make themselves into what that person, what they think that person would want in order to be accepted, right? Because if, no, if I expose what I am or who I am, they won't like me anymore. They won't care about me anymore. So we put on the mask, right? We put on the clothing. We cover everything up. We try to hide ourselves. We, we fear rejection so much that we do that. How many of us would be able to stand in the presence of, of God and not feel like we have to hide, right? Yeah. Well, the Bible tells us that there is this moment that sin enters the world. Man and woman are, are walking naked, naked and unashamed face to face with God. They're, they're living in perfection and then sin comes into the picture and fractures everything, right? Fractures everything. It fractures their relationship with God. They run and hide. They, they, you know, they don't want to be in his presence anymore. They're not able to be in his presence anymore. How sad is that of what sin cost us? Fractures their relationship with each other, right? God asks, what happened? And immediately, Adam's like, this woman, right? Immediately, Adam throws Eve under the bus. Like, takes him two seconds to do that after sin comes into the picture, but that's what sin does 
with our relationship. So we see Genesis, in Genesis, sin fracturing everything. Relationships are now filled with self-justification and blame. Right? I mean, right before this, man was, was looking at woman and he's like, this is bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. I will, I will call her woe man out of me. Right? And then two seconds later, it's the woman's fault. God, if you would have just given me a better woman, none of this would have happened. And there's some truth there, right? Because Eve is the one who went and grabbed the fruit and then gave it to Adam, you know, and everything like that. Just I want to point that out. I will say this, though. In the New Testament, it's always Adam's fault. Adam always gets the blame, right? But in Genesis 3.15, here's the consequences, part of it. Because God begins to tell Adam, hey, this is, this is going to be the result of this act. And he does the same thing with Eve. These are going to be the consequences. Here is how it's going to happen. But out of this, we get the first promise of God. And I wonder if we pick up on it. I wonder if we've picked up on it in the past. All right, Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. God is talking to Satan and he's talking about their offspring. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So here's the first promise. All right. And maybe, like I said, it doesn't register as a promise. Maybe it doesn't register as a good promise. But put yourself in their shoes. Think about this. They have lost everything. They have lost everything everything right in the the middle of the pronouncement of judgment in the middle of you have broken everything you have fractured the universe adam and eve your rebellion has destroyed everything and all of a sudden god says to the serpent i'm going to put enmity between you and the woman's offspring and there's coming a day where born of a woman will be one who crushes your head now you'll bruise his heel but he'll crush your head. This is a win. And let me unpack this a little bit with a little inner imagery. I'm a little bit sore right now. All right. On Wednesday night, I went and played basketball with Ethan's basketball team. They had a, I don't know why they do this. They had this father-son game. All right. And so six fathers showed up. Uh, and, the, and pretty much, I think the majority of the team showed up of the kids. And they made us play full court basketball dads against the well-conditioned kids i mean literally there were three times in this night where i felt like i was going to puke i couldn't even run up and down the court we had some dads playing offense and we had some dads playing defense and there was like one dad that actually could make it down the court most of the time and then we get done with four quarters we get done with four quarters and guess what the kids want to keep playing all right and some of the dads said yes. I'm like, no, let's go home. I'm good. We did four quarters. That's a game. But no, some dads wanted to do this. And one of the dads leaves for work, and so now it's five, so you're playing the whole entire time. Not only that, the eighth graders are playing, and the eighth graders are short. So guess what? They want you to play as a dad against the eighth grade team as well. So uh, needless to say, after a couple hours, I was dead. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm now just able to stand up without groaning. Right? I'm able to get up the stairs that started 
yesterday. But if I was in my max peak condition, all right, let's say that I get into a fight and I am able to do this spinning heel kick and bust somebody upside their head, all right? And then imagine the next day my heel is sore because I busted this guy's head open, all right? Now you would look at that and you would say, we know who won the fight, right? You won the fight. Here's this guy, his head's open, his brains are open, you know, and, and you had to ice your, your leg. But there's no, there is a clear winner, just like there is a clear, clear winner here, right? There's no doubt who won. So get this, in a moment of great loss, in a moment of great darkness, in a moment where we can't even map, we can't even wrap our heads around what's happened and and what's been lost, God says, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to fix this, right? And all we're given, though, that is that there will be born of a woman, a son, who will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise his heel. This is the first promise of Jesus, the Messiah. We know because we live on the other side of this, how this turns out, right? The enemy will bruise him, beat him, crucify him, but Jesus rises from the dead and crushes sin and death forever, right? My friends, we live in a time where there is no more condemnation. There is no more condemnation according to God's work. And we're not quite back to being able to walk around naked, right? But no more condemnation, that's a move in the right direction. That's moved the needle quite a bit. So this is the first promise, and this is how the story moves forward. Now, if you read the rest of the Bible, the Bible is made up of 66 books. And as you study it, you find that there is really just one story in it. One story. Genesis to Revelation, it's about God redeeming the world and restoring the relationship that was broken. And that's all it's about. The entire thing through Jesus Christ. It's like a Lord of the Rings saga, right? Just one big story. Side note, Lord of the Rings was actually written as one book originally, and they thought it was too big, so they, they broke it up. But it was just one book, and that's what we have here. Yes, 66 books, but they're really one book. So if you're reading through this, and you're reading numbers, and you're like, man, this, what in the world am I reading? Right? There are some books that you are thinking that. Put it in the context of the bigger story, and it starts to make more sense. All right, so fast forward, Genesis 12.3. Genesis 12.3, this is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant moves into the Davidic covenant, but this explains how the serpent's head is going to be crushed or starts to explain how the serpent's head is going to be crushed. Genesis 12.3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonored you I will curse. And through you, and through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is our next clue, all right? Through the line of Abraham, through the Abrahamic covenant, which is going to lead to the Davidic covenant, through Abraham, I'm going to fix the whole world. I'm going to bless 
the whole world. The crushing of the serpent's head is coming through a son who will be one of your descendants, Abraham, in the line of Israel. Kind of a side note, we get to see ourselves in this, right? All right? We, we get to be reminded that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're, we get to be reminded that this is carried out. We are part of the promise. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That's us, right? That's us. You and I are the fulfillment of this, part of the fulfillment of this. Abraham doesn't see that, right? Us sitting here in Ohio is not in Abraham's imagination, but it is in the God of the universe. It is part of his plan from the beginning. Right? From the beginning. All the way back to Genesis and even before that. And when God speaks to Abraham, he's thinking of us. He's thinking about all those who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Abraham and those early Jews couldn't see that promise, though. But it's there. The whole world will be blessed through Jesus Moving to Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ would come to this earth. And it contains an amazing prophecy, amazing prophecies. So we know that Satan is going to be defeated. His head is going to be crushed. Sin and death are going to be destroyed. All right, And you have this person coming through the lineage of Abraham. But we also know that there's a problem. Because through mankind, sin is passed down. The sin of selfishness, the sin of the human nature right, is passed down. And the Bible says specifically through man. So how is this going to work? Well, the Bible tells us that this person will be born of a woman and she'll be a virgin, right? In other words, there's no man involved in this. We talked about this last week. It's Mary, right? So here we have the idea of how it's going to play out. Through the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before, we get the promise that God is going to fix this, that there is a perfect one coming, right? And everything that was promised in Genesis 3, this is how it's going to happen. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, we read more about this person, this Jesus, and what's going to happen. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Did you catch that? Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod. 
just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. There will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice for the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. There's a lot to unpack in this passage. In fact, I, I was going to just preach on, on verse 6. Um, so much to do, but I want to start right at the beginning because this passage talks about a location. Right? There is this Galilee, and the people there are walking in darkness. Right? A deep darkness. This darkness is, is tied, and despair is tied to a location in place. Galilee is in the north part of Israel, and it would be a route that anyone who was invading Israel would have to take in order to conquer Jerusalem. And they'd have to go through there. And every time that happened, think about what would be done to this region. All right? Crops would be taken. People would be killed. Everything would be burned and torn down. It would be utterly destroyed. And Galilee was thought to be cursed. Was thought to be cursed. Now here's the interesting thing. The majority of Jesus' ministry happened in Galilee. Nazareth was a city in this region, right? One of the two major cities. The disciples were all Galileans. They're all from this area or lived in this area. Over the half of the parables were given in this region. 25 of Jesus' 33 miracles happened here. And this is one reason why the early Jewish people missed it. This is one reason why they questioned Jesus' legitimacy. People would point to Nazareth and Galilee and this area being cursed, and they would say, this can't be the Messiah. The Messiah would not be from this region. I'm sure you remember the part in the Bible where it says, what good can come from Nazareth? right? That's what it's talking about. The Messiah would not come from here, and yet it's right here in Isaiah's prophecy, right? How could they miss this? Here's this broken, heartbreaking place, and this becomes ground zero for the end of death. Ground zero for sin to be conquered. Ground zero for the kingdom of God to be born and spread. Oh, and do you know that Galilee actually means revolution? This is where the revolution starts. How can this happen? Because God has come and his name will be Emmanuel, which means, of course, God with us. Once again, mankind will be able to dwell face to face with God. And God comes and establishes his kingdom on this earth. He creates this new order and he commands his disciples and the people that follow after him to spread it to the corners of the earth. 
to bring it, to enlarge it. This is the cultural mandate carried out. This is what mankind's original call was. And guess what? It continues through us today. It's what we're called to do. We're called to be a part of the story. And we can't miss that. We can walk with the Holy Spirit today. We can walk with God today. That's a great gift that we have. And build the kingdom of God. My friends, the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. We're just called to partner with Him. We're called to continue what was started at ground zero 2,000 years ago. And here's the promise. There's a people that are walking in darkness, a people who feel cursed and are without hope, a people who feel abandoned and forgotten, and they will see a great light, right? And this will be ground zero for it to spread across the world. God-forsaken town, it would seem, but God uses it as ground zero. This is where it will begin. This is where the darkness will be destroyed. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who will be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the old, from ancient of days. Bethlehem. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Small town, middle of nowhere. They missed it. They missed that Jesus would start his ministry in Galilee. How did they not recognize these things? They had these passages. They knew these passages. They had memorized these passages. These passages created a longing in them a stirring in their soul they longed for the messiah to come but they connected the dots in a different way in a way that fit what they wanted to see to have happen you see jesus is going to be this earthly king that crushes the head of the serpent who's the serpent well who's their enemy it's rome right and who's the leader of rome it's caesar Jesus is going to be this earthly king who crushes Caesar, who destroys Caesar and Rome. Jesus is coming, or the Messiah is coming, to free them from the Romans and establish a new kingdom. And through this new kingdom, through the destruction of Rome, won't the world be blessed, right? They'll no longer be under Rome's fingers and Rome's hand. Everyone will be blessed through this. That's how they connected the dots. So they saw God's promises and interpreted them with their view, their wants. They'd been raised with these thoughts, these prophecies, and they made it fit their they made them fit their dreams, their ideas, their longing for an earthly king, for an empire, for a mighty nation. Then God's blessings would be there. Sometimes I think, my friends, that we want the same thing. That our desire is for this to happen. We long to see God establish an empire, right? Maybe we even thought that God established an empire called America. And we long to see us return to our Christian roots. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that solve all our problems? 
But my friends, God established the kingdom of God. And that's what we need to be focused on. He's already done that. He established that 2,000 years ago. And he's called us to be a part of it. He's called us to build it. He's called us to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I don't want us to miss that mandate. We have a community that is in darkness. We have several communities represented by our church that are in darkness that we're called to bring the gospel, to bring the good news to. It's easy, especially around this time of year. We have this longing inside of us for something more. That's how, that's how God created us. That's how God wired us. The problem is we want that red rider, right? That red rider carbine action 200 shot model ranged air rifle. We're desperate for it. Do you remember how desperate Ralphie was for it? That's all he could think about. That was all he wanted, right? And we have this longing in our soul, but we try to fill it with that red rider BB gun or whatever that thing is in your life. And sometimes if we're not careful, that's what Christmas becomes focused on. We try to buy the peace and joy that only Christ and his kingdom can bring. We try to buy that one thing. The problem is it never lasts, right? How many of us have a kid that they had said one time in their life, man, if you just buy me this, I will be good. I will never ask for anything ever again, right? And that is a 100% lie. Andy, Emma, when he says that, you just know he's lying, all right? Because there's always something next year or maybe the year after. Things don't just last. Things don't satisfy. We lie to ourselves. Oh, if I could just have this car or if I could just make this much money or if I could just have this boyfriend or this spouse or this whatever it is, then I'd never need anything ever again. I'd be good forever. And when we don't have it, we're miserable. And when we do get it, it doesn't satisfy. Right? Christmas is one of the worst times that feeds into this. If I only had this, I'd be okay. But Christmas can also be the greatest reminder of what we really need. A Savior. A Messiah. A Savior who redeems the world. Emmanuel, God with us. How do we live in that contentment? My friends, you keep your eyes off the commercials, right? Oh, if you only had this, you'd be happy. You deserve this. You need this. Instead, if we'd only keep our eyes on Christ, if we'd only stay in his word and be that branch people, right? Experience that branch life. The word of God is a mirror that tells us when we're off key, when we get out of sync with God, with walking with the Spirit. It reminds us, it keeps us, it lights our path, right? Stay in the word. It examines our lives. And my friends, you focus on building the kingdom. There's nothing else that will satisfy your soul like building something eternal, something that will last. 
you focus on sharing the good news. What better time than right now to tell the world about a Savior than right now? You cannot be scared. You cannot be too frightened to do that. You have to step out on faith and share that with whoever God calls you to share that with. Whoever God brings into your path, share it. Pray for it. Ask God for those opportunities, right? Ask God to put someone on your heart to go after. Ask God to put someone in your path that you can share the greatest news ever, right? C.S. Lewis, apologist, Chronicles of Narnia wrote that. He also wrote The Weight of Glory. He says that everyone has this longing inside them, a desire for more. It's what drives this season commercially. We all try to fill it with things that just don't satisfy our souls. And we all can testify to that, right? That time where you just needed to have this, and if you could only get this, and you got that, and then it just didn't satisfy you. We all can testify to that. But there's something that satisfies our souls. There's something that will satisfy the longing. And that is a relationship with the creator of the universe. My friends, here's the truth. We all chase after our longings. Whatever they may be. We will all chase after our longings. Where are your longings taking you too. I hope and I pray that our longings are taking us to the foot of Jesus and into his presence. C.S. Lewis said, glory as Christianity teaches me to hope for it turns out to satisfy my original desire and indeed to reveal an element in that desire which I had not noticed. By ceasing for a moment to consider my own wants, I have begun to learn better what I really wanted. Our desires ultimately point us to the Father who accepts us through Jesus Christ. But that also reveals what we truly want. There's a kingdom principle that not everyone learns, not every Christian really learns, but if you do, it will set you free. And it's found in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. If you can come to a place where you surrender your desires, your wants, and you seek after the kingdom of God, you'll learn that you really even didn't want those things. And God will reveal what you truly want, what will truly satisfy your souls. Seek first his kingdom. Would you stand with me? How do you, how do you seek the kingdom? You have to make Jesus king. Pure and simple. You have to make him Lord of your life, and you have to follow Him in whatever He calls you to do. No matter how scared you are, no matter if you don't feel like you're qualified, if you're able, whatever He calls you to do, you have to step out on faith.
You have to be connected to him. You have to have that branch life. In that relationship, you'll find more than you ever wanted. You'll find what you didn't even realize you wanted. And you'll get to share it with other people. You'll get to see people set free. What better gift to have than to know that you partnered with the Holy Spirit and somebody came to know their Lord and Savior. Right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, help us. I know Christmas is over, but help us not to miss it every day of our lives. Help us to seek your kingdom. Help us to seek your path. Help us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit wherever you lead us. Lord, as a body, collectively and individually, help us to spend time with you every day at your feet, worshiping you, praying, Lord, and seeking your will. Lord, put people on our hearts. Lord, give us people in our paths that we can share the good news. Whether they like us, whether they hate us, whether they're our friends, whether they're our enemies, whether they're family, whoever they are, Lord, give us those opportunities to speak truth, to give the gospel, Lord. Help us to be bold. Help us not to be fearful people. Help us to reach out. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here right now who does not know you, Lord, I pray that they would give you their hearts. They would give you everything. They would make you Lord of life, their lives. Lord, I pray that they would trust in you. I pray that they would quit trusting in their self, quit trying to be good enough. They would just realize they have sinned and they fall short, Lord. And I pray they would confess you as their Lord and Savior and give you their lives completely. Lord, we love you. We praise you for coming to this earth. Lord, we screwed everything up. And yet, you desired to see that relationship restored. You made it so that it could happen. Lord, you repaired the way. Father, at great cost. Lord, thank you. Lord, we praise you. We honor you. Father, help us to give our lives to that grace. Help us to share it with other people. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. If you need to talk, grab somebody, grab me.